Psalm 56 is our text tonight. We have been talking about baggage that weighs us down in life. What we've discovered is that baggage we carry, oftentimes we carry it from one season of life to the next. And so far we've talked about baggage like bitterness and pride the first two weeks. And tonight we're talking about the baggage of fear. Fear isn't always a bad thing. Fear, to a certain extent, is something that protects us. The Bible actually commands us to fear God. Over and over, uh, we see that. The Bible tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so when we fear God, that's going to protect our life. So fear isn't always a bad thing, but the kind of fear that we're talking about tonight is that other kind of fear. The fear that weighs us down, robs us of our peace and our joy, and draws us at times into this deep, dark pit of despair and hopelessness. I wonder, have you ever been in that deep, dark pit of despair? Well, tonight we're going to see from Psalm 56 that David was no stranger to the baggage of fear. We find this, you read the Psalms, it's really easy to pick that up, man. David went through times of hopelessness, times of despair in his own life. But what we're going to see is that David learned how to put down the baggage of fear and exchange it for God's peace. Right in the midst of his storms, God gave David peace. And so our text tonight, it's here on the screen, Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, David says, I will trust in you. Verse 4, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? I want us to look at two basic thoughts tonight. The first thought, as it centers around the factors of fear. The factors of fear. And the simple truth is this, that we live in a world of endless threats. I think maybe some of you have um, probably seen this show on television, right? It aired back uh, 2006 to about 2011. You've seen Fear Factor. How many have seen Fear Factor, right? And uh, here's the kind of thing that they had to do on Fear Factor. This girl is, she's in a tank filled with snakes. Um, anybody afraid of snakes? You have, you're deathly afraid of snakes, you know. A um, couple of years ago, I guess it was two years ago, I was um, hiking with uh, Pastor Joe and Soria, and um, we're, up, we're up behind on Calderwood Butte over there uh, on the saddle down on the, I guess it's on the south side, and we're just kind of jogging along, and I nearly stepped on a rattlesnake. And I can tell you, man, my, my heart rate went way up. Kind of scared me to death. Um, there's something about snakes that, that's scary. Well, look, David's situation in this psalm, different than this, so much different, yet so scary, terrifying. When David wrote Psalm 56, he had been seized by the Philistines and he had been on the run um, while he had been on the run from King Saul. We're not going to take the time to turn there tonight, but you can turn there later to 1 
Samuel chapter 21, and you can read the brief account about David's time in Gath when he was seized by King Achish. And so he thought that he could, as he's running from Saul, he thought that he could live under the radar in Gath among the Philistines. Surely David um, had to be on the Philistines' most wanted list. I mean, if you go to Psalm, 1 Samuel 21, and you just turn back a couple pages, you read the account of David slain the, the champion from Gath, Goliath of Gath. I mean, I would think that David would know better than going to Gath. He had just killed Goliath some uh, few years or so uh, before this. So get the picture. David is on the run. He's running from one madman, King Saul, and his entire army that, that he has out looking for David who want to murder him. And he runs to the place where he hopes that he can find some safety, but he runs right into the arms of his enemy, people who hated him just as bad and who would love to see David dead. And David writes this in Psalm 56, verse 1. He says, Be gracious to me, God, for a man is trampling me. He fights and oppresses me all day long. My adversaries trample me all day, for many arrogantly fight against me. Look down at verse 5. They twist my words all day long. All their thoughts against me are evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps, and they wait to take my life. Will they escape in spite of such sin, such sin? God bring down the nations in wrath? David is just pleading with God. He's terrified. It sounds like David is living every single day wondering if that would be his last day. Like that would be the day that they would finally take his life. He is afraid. And in verse 3, when he says, when I am afraid, what he's saying is, right now, right now, at this very moment, I'm surrounded and I'm petrified. I have to wonder if when David was sketching these notes... In Gath, I have to wonder if those original notes of David showed that his hand was a little trembly, right? Have you ever tried to write when you're, when you're in a panic, when you're having a panic attack? I mean, I can imagine that, that David's pen showed that he was quivering. I can imagine that, that his, his heart was beating rapidly. He, his hands were trembling. And folks, what I want us to understand tonight, and it doesn't come as a surprise, that there are times in life when we, like David, become very afraid of people, of problems that are pressing in on us. One of the most common things that we share as humans is fear. Fear. What is fear? Well, fear is an emotional response to perceived danger or threats to our safety and security. Doesn't that describe what David is experiencing right now? His safety and his security is being threatened. And this is the emotional response. And that emotional response is characterized by a sense of unease, a sense of apprehension, and a sense of anxiety that perfectly describes what David is dealing with. And we all know what it is like to be afraid. Why? Because we live in a world of endless threats. The world is a scary place and we're finite, weak people. Turn the news on, right? 
Talk to Jim. Let him tell you some stories. It's a scary place out there. There's a lot of nut jobs living out in the world. And, and honestly, sometimes I'll hear a story and I just want to like grab my, my, like, you know, my chicks, my little hens, and you know, the, the hen gathering the chicks, you know, and take them home and like lock the door. Like, don't go out there. We live in a world of constant threats. The Chapman Survey Every year, they research fear in America. And I came across this this week. In their most recent research, it shows that Americans are becoming progressively more afraid. The top 10 fears found in 2022, I've I've put them up here. This is what they found uh, through their survey. And, And the top 10 suggests that Americans' fears center on five main topics. Number one, Corrupt government officials. No. No way. Number two, harm to a loved one. This is number two and four on the list. People I love dying. 58% of people are afraid of that. And number four, uh, number, oh, number two was people I love becoming seriously ill. 60% number four, people I love dying. You know what that means? That in this room right now, there's a good chance that 50 to 60% of us fear these things. Your wife, your spouse becoming seriously ill. Uh, this week, my wife had a medical uh, um, procedure, proce- yeah, procedures that we would call it, a test. And I, I have to be honest with you, man. It, you know, it, when you know that that's coming, there's this sense of fear, like, well, this, we, could get some, we could get some bad news, right? And you've been through that. Who wants to get the news that their loved one is seriously ill? And, and we live in fear of this sort of thing. The third um, group in, in this uh, top 10 is war. Numbers 3, 5, and 10. Uh, Russia using nuclear weapons, 59%. Uh, number five, the U.S. becoming involved in another world war, 56%. And number 10, biological warfare, 51%. Uh, then there's environmental concerns, number six and nine, pollution of drinking water. And number nine, pollution of oceans, rivers, and lakes. And then finally, economic concerns, number seven and eight, not having enough money for the future. And number eight, um, economic financial collapse, right? So this is what we as Americans deal with as fears. And I I would say that these fears would resonate with us here tonight to some degree. Why? Because even God's people, even Jesus' followers are tempted to fear. Even Jesus' followers at times are overwhelmed. You and I are going to have such trials. People we love are going to get sick. We're going to get sick, right? I mean, we know that that's going to happen at some point. How are we going to deal with that? How are we going to deal with the fears? What fears creep into your heart most often? What situation, object, or or person causes you the most distress? 
You know, some of these things are not so obvious. I was thinking about just the summer. We're talking about summer baggage here. That, that something like even summer travel can cause fear. Maybe some of you have experienced this. A um, little bit of this. We were getting ready when we were packing and getting ready to go back east. There, there's some of these thoughts of, oh man, we gotta spend different nights every night in a different hotel. We gotta travel through all these different places. We gotta spend time with family, <laughs> you know, and and all these different things, right? These are things that that even. Something that's supposed to be a fun, restful kind of a time can actually be stressful and fearful, right? You got to get on a plane and you got to fly. Unknown foods that you're going to have to eat. Um, you know, so what, what, what fears are tied to even something as simple as our, our summer travel that sucks the joy out of our vacations? But look, there are fears that we all carry of all different sorts. The fear of failing. How about the fear of being alone? You know? The fear of your spouse dying and, and you're, you're on your own. The fear of the future. The fear of repeating the past. The fear of particular people. The fear of not having enough. Of course, the fear of dying. Sometimes our fears are manageable. Sometimes our fears are even undetectable. They just lie calmly, quietly, kind of in the recesses of our heart and our mind. But at other times, it just gets completely unbearable and it leaves us in a heap of despair. Have you ever experienced a panic attack? Right? That is where fear is just out of control. And what I want you to consider tonight is that what you fear most may be exactly where Satan is tar targeting you the most. He preys on our insecurities, doesn't he? He preys on our anxieties. He preys on what distresses us. And what does he do? He pours gasoline of lies on all of the things that distress us, all of the thoughts, man, he just pours lie after lie on that, trying to persuade us that God is powerless, God is indifferent, God is distant. And here's King David, a man after God's own heart. And if you go back a couple of chapters of chapter 13, listen to what he says. He says, how long, Lord, will you forget me? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? Have you been there? I've been there. Just agony in your mind every single day. How have you tried to cope with the anxiety? How do you do it? Typically, fear leads to an urge to either confront the source or flee from it, right? It's known as the, the fight or flight response. In extreme cases of, of horror and terror, there's this freeze response, this paralysis response that can occur where we just, a person just completely stops still and will not move any forward, just frozen in fear. Well, here in Gath, David pretends, if you go back to 1 Samuel 21, you know what he does? He pretends to be insane. It tells us that he goes to the city gates 
and he begins scribbling on them like a madman. I mean, who knows what he was scribbling? Probably some sort of gibberish of some sort. He's, he's, he's putting on an act like he is insane, and it says that he lets his spittle run down his beard like he's foaming at the mouth, right? So get the picture of this. Here's David. Here's this mighty warrior. He killed Goliath. He stood face to face with a giant, and he took him down. The rest of the Israeli army, including King Saul, shaken in their boots, absolutely afraid of that giant. And David went, this ruddy little kid, and faced him and took him one-on-one and brought him down. The same guy now is facing another giant in Gath, the king, King Achish. And he is shaken in his boots, and he's acting like a mad man. I don't know about you, but I have been in places of such dark, overwhelming anxiety and fear that I thought I was going to lose my mind. Maybe David's losing his mind. I think he was play acting, but maybe David is just freaking out. Listen, wise people work to identify their fears so that they can get freedom. So here's where we're going to spend the rest of our message tonight. And that is talking about this right here, the freedom from fear. This is, we, we understand the reality of fear. We live with it. How do we get freedom from it? I want you to know that David got victory. He got freedom from his fear. The principle is this, when you are afraid... Trust in God. David goes from, if you look at Psalm 56, if you look at verse 3 and 4, David goes from, I am afraid, to I will not be afraid. You see it? Do you see it in verse 3 and 4? He says, I am afraid. And then he says, I will not be afraid. How? How does David go from being afraid to not being afraid. Well, he tells us. Simply, he puts his trust in God. He says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Should we just conclude the service there? That's how you find freedom from your fear. That's how David found freedom from his fear. He put his trust in God. You know, if there's anything in Scripture close to a command about fear other than all the do not fear passages in the Bible, it would be this. When we are afraid, we are to turn to Jesus. We are to trust Him. And so church tonight, what I want to to say tonight is simply this. In the scary moments of life, don't fall apart. Fall on your knees. Fall on your knees. Look to the Lord. Psalm 56, church, it is a prayer. That's what this is. He he writes this prayer and he sends it off. It becomes a song. And that's, that's the joy after the tears, right? But this was a prayer. He is on his face before God. He is asking God. He's saying, be gracious to me, God. My adversaries are trampling me all day long. They fight arrogantly against me. David is crying out to God for intervention. He's begging God to do something, to step in. Oswald Chambers said, we tend... Last slide, the the one just before that. There it is. 
we tend to use prayer as a last resort, don't we? Boy, he hits the nail on the head. We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when something, uh, when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Sometimes we get ourselves into worse trouble by reacting in our fears and doing something that only makes situation, our situation worse. If we would do what David did here and he falls on his face before God and cries out to the Lord, David does what Scripture commands us to do time and time again when we are afraid and anxious. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 tells us, do not be anxious about anything. Just think about that for a minute. Don't be anxious about anything. Anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. What's Paul saying? He's saying, turn to the Lord. That's what he's saying. When you're afraid, turn to God. James, excuse me, Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, casting all your cares, and that word cares there, is the word anxiety. It could be translated anxieties. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. David turns to God. He humbles himself before the Lord. He casts his anxieties on the Lord. And so for the next couple of minutes, what I'd like for us to do is I'd like for us to dissect verses 3 and 4. Remember, remember this? Remember high school biology class? Did you do this? How many of you got to do this? You dissected a frog. Yeah. Yeah, we did that. Do they do this anymore? Do the kids, the kids get to do this? Nate, did you do this in high school? No? You guys got ripped off, man. That was a good time. We cut it open. We analyzed it. Because frogs provide a good overview of the organ systems of a complex living thing, and it's similar to how humans, our human body works. It's similar. So it gives us insight into that. Um, I read this week that many surgeons say that they first discovered their life's passion standing over a dissected frog in middle or high school biology class. Surgeons, the next time you have surgery, ask, ask the surgeon. Ask the surgeon about that. Well, in the same way, while our troubles, our anxieties, and our fears may not be exactly like David's, the human body isn't exactly like a frog, our anxieties aren't exact. I don't have anyone hunting me down that I'm aware of tonight, right? But my anxieties, my fears might be somewhat different than David's. They're similar enough to provide insight for how faith works in anxious times when, when I'm afraid, when you're afraid. We can learn something from David's experience that can help us in our experience. And what my prayer is that as we dissect David's words, we leave with this passion to trust the Lord in the times that we would 
fear, when we're anxious, that we would do what David did. So let's dissect Psalm 56, 3 and 4 to understand the anatomy of David's faith, all right? To help us better understand how faith can work in our own frightening situations, all right? So, so here it is. Here's David. Here's the verse. I've dissected. I've kind of cut the verse up into the, the pieces that we're going to look at uh, each one. So here's David, and we find David has faith. He has put his trust in the Lord. So let's dissect now this faith. We're just going to take one at a time. The first thing that David says here, he says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in the Lord. So the first thing that we learn as we dissect David's faith is that faith is personal. It's personal. When I am afraid, I will trust the Lord. David has the fear and the response has to be a personal response to his fear. He must trust the Lord. And so it must be for each one of us. When I'm afraid, your faith is no replacement for mine, and mine is no replacement for yours. I've had this happen where, where someone is going through something terrible, and they will come, and they will ask me to pray for them. And all good, that's that's what we're to do as brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. We're to pray with and for one another. Yes, we are to do this. But, but there are times when I can read the fear on someone's face. I can hear the fear in, in what they're telling me, the, the anxiety, the fear, and how terrified they are of what it is that they're asking me to pray with them about. And I think when I'm praying, what they're hoping is, is that God's going to hear my prayer and do something about their problem. And what happens often is that we stop praying and you look back at their face and the words that start coming out of their mouth, it's like they're still afraid. Why? Because there's really no personal faith. There's no personal trust. They, they haven't cast the burden on, they've cast it on me, but now I'm casting it on them. Are you following this? Right? Don't misunderstand me. You, if you'd like for me to pray with you or anybody, you know, let's pray with one another. I'm, please, I'm not dismissing that. What I'm saying is, is that David had a personal faith. He personally put his trust in the Lord. And we have to as well in our own situation with our own anxieties. Otherwise, if we're trusting in someone else's trust in the Lord, we will just remain a slave to fear. Faith is personal. Faith is also volitional. He says, I will. He's making a choice, and so must we. David's faith is intentional. It's premeditated. It is deliberate. When he was faced with life's scary situations, we have a choice to make. Will we rise up with faith or will we shrink back in fear? And church, listen, trusting the Lord is simply a daily choice we have to make. In all of our, in all of our struggles, in all of our situations, in all of our decisions, whatever it is, we have this choice to make. Am I going to bring this to God? Am I going to trust the Lord with this or not? The world isn't safe, and God, the God who reigns above does not minimize our or dismiss our fears. He doesn't do that. Psalm 56.3 assumes there will be fear on our part. What it does not assume is that we are going to make the right choice. It's giving us a choice. 
David made the right choice. We must choose. Some days, honestly, I don't choose so well. How about you? Some days I can just, you can feel it. Welling up on the inside. Other days I, I choose well. The late author, poet, and hymn writer Margaret Clarkson. If you grew up in church singing hymns, you would recognize some of the hymns she wrote like so send I you and more love to thee, O Christ. You reckon, recognize any of those names? She, she wrote many different hymns, wrote 17 books. Did you know that Margaret from her earliest days was inflicted with physical ailments and pain? She lived most of her life very sick. I mean, I think of Fanny Crosby, right? Blind. Some of the, some of the best old songwriters were dealing with terrible things in their life. Margaret, Margaret was. Margaret became a living example of the power of God to preserve his people in trials when we choose to trust him in it. She, says, she wrote this, she said, always faith is initiated by an act of the will on our part whereby we set ourselves to believe in the overruling goodness, providence, and sovereignty of God and refuse to turn aside no matter what may come, no matter what we feel. You see, fear is an emotion, and oftentimes when we tap into that emotion, we, when we allow that emotion to become king, all of these other emotions and feelings, we begin allowing all of our feelings to dictate what we do and how we do it, what comes out of our mouth, how we respond. And what Margaret learned in her life of struggle was that she had to choose by an act of her own will to believe in the overruling goodness and providence and sovereignty of God. So church, choose to trust God even when you don't feel like it. So faith is personal. Faith is volitional. And then David says, I will trust. I will trust. Faith here, we learn David's faith as we dissect it, is essential. You remove trust from Psalm 56.3, you, you don't get the same result. Right? It's absolutely imperative. Fear is your situation. Faith is your solution. Dave, had David said, when I am afraid, I will doubt you, how would that have turned out? Would he have been able to say, I will not be afraid? No, because doubt doesn't clear up fear. It creates and cultivates it. You see? You see, faith is essential. David's facing something so much bigger than himself, something so far beyond his power, even for a warrior. Here's a young man who had faced off with this champion that no one else would face off with. And you remember what David said at that time to Saul. Remember, Saul is scared. And David says to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Goliath of Gath. Your servant David will go and fight this Philistine. And here's Saul's reply. You can't go fight this Philistine. You're a youth. He's been a warrior since he was young. And here's what David answered. 
The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David, while Saul was scared to death, David, on the other hand, was fearless. Why? He's trusting in the Lord. And here we are a short time later, and he's standing before the king of Gath, King Achish, and Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel 21.12 tells us that initially David became very afraid of King Achish. That is until, as Psalm 56 tells us, he put his trust in the Lord. So church, in times of adversity, it's difficult to trust. It's easier to fear and doubt, but trust anyway. Trust the Lord anyway. Remember the story of Job. Job lost everything. He lost his fortune. He lost his family. He lost his fitness, right? He lost his face, his reputation. His friends came and said, you know, Job, had you been living right, you know, God wouldn't have done all this to you, right? Totally shattered his good reputation. He lost it all. What if you lost everything in one day? What if your bank accounts went to zero tomorrow? Be honest. Would that scare you? Would it scare you? What if all your kids died in one day? Would you have some anxiety over that? Would there be some fear that would swell up in your, in your heart? Would you quit trusting God? Would you throw in the towel on your faith? What if you lost your health tomorrow? What if tomorrow on, or on Monday you got a terrible diagnosis? Would it rock your world? It'd be scary, right? Would it be scary? Well, of course it would be scary. What if your reputation was taken from you? What if you hadn't done anything wrong and everybody thought you did? What if all of that happened at the very same time? How would you respond? Here's how Job responds. Listen, he says this, Job 13, 15. Even if he kills me, I will trust him. Even if he takes my life, I'm going to trust him. Church faith is absolutely essential. The next one here, it's on the screen already. The next one, as we dissect David's faith, number four, we find that it, his faith is directional. He says, I will trust in you. Beginning of the next verse, in God. So David's faith wasn't directed inward, it was directed upward. David wasn't trusting in his own abilities. I mean, here's a warrior. Here's a guy who learned as a young man how to do battle. Very wise young man. But he wasn't trusting in himself, in his wisdom, or in his abilities. He wasn't trusting in his weapons. If you go back to 1 Samuel 21, and you look at just before he goes to Gath, he goes to the priest, and the, pre, he, the priest gives him Goliath's sword. <laughs> it's like, I'll take it, right? He has Goliath's sword. 
he goes to Gath with, I'm assuming he took it with him. I don't think he took it out in his backyard, hid it under his tent. I assume he took it with him to Gath. Maybe he was thinking that could become a bargaining chip or he could eBay it or something so he could find a nicer cave to stay in. I don't know. But I know that he wasn't trusting in his weapon. Probably had a slingshot with him. He was really good with it. But think about all the things that we put our trust in. Our strengths, our bank account, our grit, our ingenuity, and so on. We can trust in ourselves if we can manage and control our world, you know, or we can try to quarantine ourselves with our worries as if worry somehow might shield us from future threats. But church, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. David put his trust in God. Why? David knows God. Do you know God? David has a personal relationship with God. This is why David's trusting God. He knows him personally. He has a a relationship with him. And David believes that God is completely trustworthy. He had seen God give him the victory. He he said, it was God who delivered me from the the paw of the the bear and the paw of the lion. God delivered me. David, had he could look in his past and he could say, I have seen God deliver me. Isn't it ironic that, that we can all, I would imagine, we can all look in our past in the rear view and we can say, you know, I've seen God deliver me. I've seen God overcome. I've seen the, the God be trustworthy. I've seen God take care of me. And yet, something can happen tomorrow and we can be shaken in our boots. <laughs> but what I encourage us to do is to go on and trust God anyway. Just as David lifted his eyes up to the hills and then straight into the heavens in Psalm 121 and 23, we have to get our eyes off of the situation and off of ourself, and we have to direct our attention upward to God, to him. So David could face horrifying trials because he knew where to turn in horrifying trials. When people are afraid, they don't want a five-step plan. People are afraid they want a person. Kids have it right. When kids are afraid, do they want a five-step plan? No. Who do they want? Mommy. They want a person. Church, God is our deliverer. He's our deliverer. In times of trouble, we trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, right? It's directed to him, directed away from us. It's to him. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him. and He'll make your path straight. Let's keep dissecting. He says, then I will trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. Here we learn that David's faith is biblical. It's biblical. He talks about The word, whose word I praise. David puts his trust in God. When he does that, he's putting his trust in what God had said. He's clinging to what God has said. He's clinging to God's word. So instead of dwelling on the terror in front of him, David sets his mind on what God had said to those who love him. He stops listening to the scary thoughts going through his head, and he begins again listening to God's truth. And church, this is key. This is key. 
See, when we encounter scary situations, what the devil does, he comes along and he sows doubt and he sows fear. He throws lies our way. He says things like, God doesn't really care about you. God isn't really good if this is happening to you. You're alone. God either doesn't know what you're going through or he can't do anything about it. God is against you. Have you ever heard those whispering lies in your ear? (laughs) I've heard them. He tells one lie after another, but David knows better. He knows what God has said in his word. Look at verse number 9. The end of the verse, he says, This I know. This I know. God is for me. Satan, in our, in our times of fear, he says, God doesn't care. He doesn't know what's going on. He's abandoned you. He's against you. And David knew better. He knew that God was for him. And so like David, we have to cling to God's word if we're going to experience freedom from our fears. It's important to dispute the negative fears and lies and thoughts with the truth of the scripture. Why? Because his word assures us that he is for us. Romans 8.31, if God is for you, who can be against you? His word assures us that he does love us. His word assures us that he does see us, that he does know what we are facing. His word assures us that he is good even when times are bad. His word assures us that he will bring good out of everything we face for those of us who love him. He assures us in his word that we are safe in him and one day we will see his face. His word assures us of all that and more. And so suddenly when we start listening to the truth, the threats don't seem so threatening. Why? Because they, they're being drowned out by a louder voice. Psalm 112. Happy is the person who fears the Lord, taking great delights in his commands. He will not fear bad news. His heart will become confident, excuse me, trusting in the Lord. So church, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to find a passage of Scripture. Not now. But since fears and anxieties are so ever-present every, every day of our life, we need to know the Scripture. We have to know the Word of God. There are 366 fear knots in the Bible, one for each day of the year. So identify these fear not passages, some of the trust in the Lord passages that you can turn to, that you can meditate on, that you can memorize for those moments when the fears and anxieties that you face emerge so that you're able to overcome by knowing and believing the truth, God's truth. So David's faith, it's biblical. And then it's here on the screen It's practical. It's practical. He says, in God I trust. He repeats this. God I trust. So his faith isn't theoretical. It's it's practical. True faith isn't abstract. It's not theoretical. It's it's practical. It's, It's a practice, isn't it? Do you know that everyone, even the most committed atheists, 
has some level, some kind of faith. In fact, there's a podcast that I listened to by Frank Turk. It's called, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Even atheists have faith, and that faith always has some practical outworking that's practiced. We all live this way. You boarded a, a plane lately? We have faith that the pilot is sane, right? That he's been trained, that he knows where we're going, that the plane's flyable. We get on that plane, we are practically exercising faith. And here's what we bring this to. Trusting God in times of anxiety isn't theoretical, it's completely practical. And sometimes that takes practice. Faith is a spiritual skill of relying on God. It's less automatic than we think. Fear is automatic. That's automatic. That's human. But not faith. And I think there's a reason why there are 366 fear knots in the Bible. It's because fear is something we face as humans every single day of the year in one form of another. And so with practice, we were. We're able to turn to Jesus more quickly and practically trust him in ways that actually erode our anxieties. Does that mean that there will continue to be events that come unexpectedly and intend to terrorize us and trouble us? Well, of course, yes. However, the good news from God himself is, as found in Isaiah 41.10, don't fear, I'm with you. Do not be afraid, I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you, hold on to you by my right hand of righteousness. David's faith was practical. We need a practical, practiced faith. Seven, he says, I will not be afraid. Here we find that faith, David's faith was pivotal. Pivotal. Why? Because, excuse me, changing, uh, choosing to trust God changes everything. Because the Lord is powerful enough to calm all of our fears. Not only is he power enough to do it, he wants to bring us relief from our fears. He wants to. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Our freedom from fears does not come by denying the things that we're afraid of. It comes from Jesus Christ being with us and being in us as the Prince of Peace. And so faith in God is the indispensable antecedent of fearlessness. As seen in the words of Isaiah, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace for it is trusting in you. David finds peace in the storm in the midst of it. And so can we. And that brings me to the last thought here as we dissect David's faith. He says, what can mere mortals do to me? Here we find that David's faith is triumphal. Triumphal. David asks, what can mere mortals do to me? Hmm. Well, David... They can hurt you. They can lock you up. David, I think they might even be able to destroy you. They can kill you, David. 
Look, trusting God doesn't protect us from bad things happening. Ask Daniel about that. Did Daniel trust God? Where'd that land him? How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Ask them if trusting God means you will never have anything bad happen to you. They found themselves in a fiery furnace. The last time you read Hebrews, Hebrews 11, have you read it all the way to the end? I mean, the, the first, the, the big chunk of Hebrews 11, man, it is about all of these heroes of the faith, right? I mean, we go through all of them and just the great things that God accomplished through them as they, as they exercise faith in God. And as the writer keeps writing, like most preachers, he's running out of time, and so he begins to collapse what he's saying just into these little uh, you know, snapshots of victories. And he says in verse 32, he says, Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging Fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle. And you keep reading this, and you're like, check, 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 sign me up. I want in on all that. I want to have all those great victories. Women receive their dead, raise a life. If that's what Christian faith is, sign me up. But now wait a minute. Because you read down a little bit further and you get to verse 35 and the author of Hebrews says, other people, you might want to mark that word other, other people were tortured, not accepting release. So they did not gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And you read that and you say, what did they do? I mean, What did they do that was so wrong? And you know what the answer is? Nothing. You keep reading a little further, and it says, all these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. They didn't do anything wrong. They obeyed God. You see, faith doesn't always mean that we're always going to escape. Faith doesn't mean that mortals can't touch you. Trusting God doesn't mean that horrible things aren't going to happen to you or me. Trusting God means that we are putting our lives completely in his hands, no matter what. That's what it means. It means that we lay our life on the altar. It means that even pain, even suffering, even the scary stuff in life, that we are going to trust him through it all. You see, faith is not receiving from God what you want. Faith is accepting from God what he gives. Sometimes what he gives hurts. 
and it's painful. And it can scare us to death. But faith is triumphant because faith trusts in the God who holds our lives in his hands. Horrible things have happened to David, and yet what David is doing in 1 Samuel 21 and Psalm 56, you know what he's doing? He is living out Christ's guidance in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28 when Jesus said, don't fear those who killed the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Faith is triumphant because it trusts God who will be with us in the fiery trials, in the furnace in the lion's den of life, in the tragedies of life. David knows that God is fully capable of dealing with his enemies. And he says in Psalm 21, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? David is not going to be afraid no matter what he faces. And that is a triumphant faith. Faith is triumphant because Faith trusts in the God who sits on the throne, almighty God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, ever-changing God who loves us and who gave himself for us. You see, triumphant faith, faith is triumphant because when we seek the Lord, he delivers us from our fears. David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. So, what have you been fearing? What would your life be like if you were free from the anxiety and the fear? What would it be like? Here's our next steps, two of them. Number one, I choose, oops, go back to it, there it is. Next step, number one, I choose to put down the baggage of fear and begin trusting the Lord with what scares me. Is this the next step, the next step you need to take tonight? What is it that you're fearing? Do you tonight need to put that bag of fear down and trust the Lord with what is scaring you? Turning to Jesus. Don't fall apart. Fall on your knees. Fall on your knees. Next step, number two. I will begin identifying and memorizing Scripture that reminds me to fear not and to trust the Lord. Can I encourage you to do that? In fact, if you go to lifepath.church and you go to the first link, which is this weekend's gathering, and you scroll down under the next steps, there's a link that I provided for you that will give you a hundred verses in the Bible, the 100 fear not Bible verses. What I'd encourage you to do is start reading them, start meditating on them, start praying them, let God's word remind you of who God is and what God tells us to do with our fears.